Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. It's episode 97, and we'll be discussing The Perils of Extremism by Jason Van Tatenhove. I had such a great weekend with the boy last weekend. We went to a pumpkin farm and brought a friend along of his. Then we were going to go to this family fall festival, but it was canceled due to the rain, unfortunately. Well, I guess not canceled. They said that they were going to reschedule, but so far I haven't heard anything about rescheduling. We did end up going to this indoor mini golf and arcade place, and it was super fun. Like It was way more fun than I thought it was going to be, and we had such a great time. I did make the boy's costume this year, and he is Bill Cipher from Gravity Falls. Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to wear that costume yet. But if you have not checked out that cartoon, it's really brilliant and a fun ride even for adults. That's on one, honestly, I don't mind saying that I've watched. And I even watch it without my kid and not feel ashamed. It's so much more fun to share it with him, though, and we have a good time watching it. We've watched the whole season once and caught a few episodes together since. Anyway, his costume turned out pretty great, since I, if I do say so myself, since I'm not really a creative type of person when it comes to these things. Now, I'm not saying I'm not a creative person. I think I can be creative when it comes to like my writing and cooking and things like that, but I'm not very crafty. So it was a big deal for me to make his costume this year and he's getting older. So I'm not sure how many years he'll keep dressing up. I did tell him this year he can keep trick or treating, but he has to dress up if he's going to go. He had a good time this weekend, though, so I hope we've got a few more years left in him for still being a kid and enjoying some of that kid kind of stuff. I had a great time, too, but these things just drain me so much. Being around people just makes me so tired, and I just need to spend some time alone and re-energize. Sunday, he went over to a friend's house a lot of the day, and I did get a little time to myself and relax, and then at night, we watched some scary movies. We have a tradition now that we watch Fear Street movies and Stephen King's It every year. The boy definitely prefers the newer version of It, but I honestly can't decide between the original miniseries and the new version of the movies. I love them both so much. And honestly, I can't remember the last time I was that excited about a new movie coming out. I'm not like this huge movie person. So when I saw that they were remaking It, that was one I was actually really excited about. And I thought they did a really incredible job on it. And I really love both of them. I love the book. And I did start reading it again. But man, culturally, things have shifted so much that it can be a little cringy at times. I still think Stephen King is a great author. But it's so glaringly obvious that things have changed in society. And things have changed a lot within me, too, since I last read it. It's a little disappointing sometimes that books I've loved so much in the past don't hold the same magic anymore for me, though I think it's a positive change, a positive thing that there is that change within me and then there is change within society as well. Sometimes I get a little, you know, on my high horse about how things haven't changed enough in society. And uh, while I still think that that's true, that things are not changing quickly enough in some categories, we have made progress in a lot of areas. And so sometimes looking back at uh, some of those older books and reading some of those older books, I definitely see the progress a little bit more. 
I also love the movie 13 Ghosts, and the boy doesn't love that one as much, which is fine. So I watched that one this year by myself without him. Getting into the booze this week. So the theme of this book is definitely screaming good old boys and hippies, which you'll understand more once I get into the book. And then if you do read the book for yourself. So this one needed a really good microbrew to pair with it. And I had no idea when I picked up this beer in Tennessee how perfect a pairing it would be for this episode. This was a beer that I actually got to try when we were visiting my folks earlier this year in the spring. And it's Hippies and Cowboys IPA from Tennessee Brewing Company. I don't always love an IPA when it's getting colder, but this one truly hit the spot and was a good fit. While the book doesn't really go into any time in Tennessee, it's definitely in some places that have some of that same country feel of Tennessee. And the themes from the book and how Van Tatenhove fits into the group, it's really just couldn't be a better pairing. So from the website, quote, if you live in Tennessee, you have plenty of friends that are hippies and cowboys. This IPA is an ode to them. This tropical and citrus IPA provides luscious aromas that filter through. Light on the bittering, it ends with a smooth, crisp finish. It's a very versatile beer that can be enjoyed on the ranch after a hard day's work or listening to live music at a gritty honky tonk. It comes in at 6.0 ABV and 35 IBU. It's a great IPA that I would get again, and it's not as hoppy bitter as some IPAs I've had. It's not too sweet, but does have that nice tropical flavor. The website also says, quote, it pairs well with long summer days and cool winter nights. It's best consumed with good friends and loud music. And I will definitely second that because I had it home by myself, but it definitely would have been better paired with good friends to enjoy it with. And especially with this nice fall weather that we're having, you know, an outdoor fire and some Cowboys and Hippies IPA would be a great way to spend the weekend. So getting into the author on this, usually I don't give author info or background on a book like this, but it's not really a memoir in the same way that other books I've shared have been memoirs. This is more of a snapshot of just a part of Jason Van Tatenhove's life. Since he's a relatively unknown author in person, there isn't a lot out there about his life. I did get this really nice bio off Goodreads. Quote, raised by artists and computer programmers, Tatenhove gravitated towards Colorado's punk and grunge scenes. His literary heroes, Hunter S. Thompson, and when he had a chance to embed with the most infamous militia in our day, he jumped at the chance, quote, wanting to write his own Hell's Angels. Though, side note, this is kind of weird because I feel like it's in contradiction with some of the parts of the book that I'll discuss later. Jason Van Tatenhove is an author, journalist, and artist living with his family in a mountain in a high mountain town in Colorado, which is Estes Park. I don't know why he kind of avoids saying Estes Park, but he talks about it so much that it's pretty obvious. He what he has attended three universities for fine artwork, dropping out of each. Jason was raised in a creative family, a third generation artist and writer. His grandfather was a member of the abstract expressionist movement in New York City in the 50s and 60s. Jason Jason shows his fine contemporary artwork in galleries in Denver. Jason was a staff writer for the local legacy newspaper before launching his regional news outlet. He still writes weekly journalism and podcasts for his outline 
online outlet, The Colorado Switchblade. He lives with his wife, two teenage daughters, a pet wolf, and two cats in a world of creative chaos and beauty. And I loved that last part of that line, a world of creative chaos and beauty. And that's definitely something I would say I would like to strive towards, creative chaos. Anyways, getting into the book, I first heard... Van Tatenhove's name on Dogma Debate with David C. Smalley. If you've been following the podcast lately, I've been talking a lot about David C. Smalley and his podcast. To be honest, I do probably have a little bit of a crush on him. I think he's smart. I love his voice. You know, that intelligence always gets to me. But I also think that David C. Smalley has great things to say. I love his debates. Anyways, the episode is 608 titled Former Oath Keeper, and it definitely caught my attention. For some personal reasons, I've been really avoiding confrontation and debate about politics. And David C. Smalley has given me more confidence in that arena to speak more intelligently about my beliefs. And the reason I share this is because I previously wouldn't have even listened to this episode. So not only did I listen to this episode more than once, but I also got my hands on the audio version of The Perils of Extremism at No Cost with some free credits on Audible. While I definitely spout off on my opinion on a lot on the podcast, it's usually in relation to what I'm reading. Don't usually pick a book title like this to share specifically for the political content. Jason Van Tatenholm testified at the January 6th hearing, so his name may ring a bell for some. But for me, hearing the episode on dogma debate was at least where I first paid attention. Van Tatenhove is the former national media director for the Oath Keepers. And if you hadn't heard of the Oath Keepers, they're just one of the many militia groups in the United States and had members participating in the January 6th insurrection. Per Wikipedia, Quote, it was incorporated in 2009 by founder Stuart Rhodes, who in 2023, Rhodes was sentenced to 18 years for seditious conspiracy for his role in the January 6th United States Capitol attack. And another Oath Keepers leader, Kelly Meggs, was sentenced to 12 years for the same crime. Three other members have pleaded guilty to this crime and four other members have been convicted of it. To sum up the book, Van Tatenhove tells the story of his life and how he became to or came to become involved with the Oath Keepers. He shares his time with the militia, his thoughts on roads, and how easy it is to get caught up in someone else's views. Van Tatenhove has radio shows, was a freelance journalist, and currently has a podcast called The Colorado Switchblade, which I really wanted to listen to before this podcast. But man, things just sometimes get so busy in life and trying to keep up with the podcasts I like, plus do the reading, plus do the stuff from the show, plus spend time with my son because he's definitely one of my priorities and work a full-time job. That is one thing that I did not get to. So I don't really have any opinions on the Colorado Switchblade. I have not listened to it. I would like to circle back at some point and listen to it and check it out, but I did not get a chance to do it before this podcast. Well, I enjoyed the book. I was a little disappointed that the author didn't narrate the book himself. After hearing him on the podcast to have someone else read the book was a little bit off-putting, to be honest. Especially being a radio guy, I'm not sure that I'm not sure where the decision came in to have someone else do the narration. 
Another thing that disappointed me was that I didn't feel like I got enough about the dangers of extremism. While it's a statement that's right there in the title, I would have wanted to get more of it. The dangers, as Van Tatenhove explains, is how easily it was for someone who considered him self to be a relatively free thinker, an intelligent person, and someone of strong character to become part of such a group. Honestly, what it is for Van Tatenhove is a lot of it's the thing that happens for intelligent, thoughtful people who end up in cults. And you don't ever start with the extremism. You're welcomed into the fold, and it's a soft landing, not a hard one. Cults, and from what Van Tatenhove explains... Some militias get people involved who have some of the same ideals. There's such a focus on community. It's especially easy for people fall in, to fall into this that are looking for something. They finally feel that they have that sense of belonging in something. When I was in a previous role, even some of the companies that I worked for operated like this. It's the draw, the education of the pursuance of what you believe in. Then once you're hooked is when things get a little more extreme. I talked about this in the Nexium documentary, or I talked about the Nexium documentary, The Vow, in episode 63. And honestly, it made me think a lot of this. Shared beliefs and commonality isn't as always easy to find as you think it should be. So when you find yourself talking to someone or you're in a training or you're at an event and you're going, yes, yes, like that's how I feel. This is it. These people get it. These people are it. Then that's where you can easily become a little more susceptible to some of these things. And again, it's not that you're not intelligent. It's easy to say from the outside that you'd never become radicalized, but especially in this internet age, it's much easier to do when you can spiral into a world of circle jerks and confirmation bias. If you're not exposing yourself to different viewpoints, it's easy to see where some people lose that rationality and logic. I've seen it just growing up in a small town, so I was also interested in this book due to that alone. So many people I grew up with have these limited beliefs because they haven't experienced anything else. If you're not exposed to actual humans in the queer community or people who have different skin color or non-believers, it's so much easier to dehumanize them. I've always had a healthy compassion and sympath- compassionate and sympathetic side, so it's kind of been easy for me to put myself in the place of someone else and try to understand what their experience is. I think that being a reader has definitely helped a lot with that. In fiction, as a reader, you're often often putting yourself in the place of the main character. Just one of the many reasons why I think that reading is important. And again, I'm not trying to say that I'm better than anyone else because some of the things that Van Tatenhove talks about in the book and the way cults work, there were definitely some times that I, when I was in my 20s that I was looking for that home. I was looking for a place to fit in. And I think some maybe easily could have become radicalized had the situation been right. And I think that it's pretty easy for a lot of people. So you can say from the outside, oh, that would never happen. But I think it's so different when you're in the midst of it. 
So when Van Tatenhove talks about a small town Montana, there is something to be said for the mindset of the members of the Oath Keepers and other militia groups. Van Tatenhove shares he's always had a healthy mistrust of the government, and that's something I think a lot of people can relate to. Just in my job, I see how heavy-handed the government can be. In some ways, it's a good thing, but in others, I definitely see it as an overreach. So there's a difference in other states that I was also not familiar with. The BLM, not the Black Lives Matter movement, but the Bureau of Land Management has gotten in various disputes with landovers, landowners over land use. Van Tatenhove talks in both the book and the podcast episode about his journalistic coverage of the Sugar Pine Mine standoff and the Bundy standoff. So I did go down a bit of a rabbit hole with all of this. I learned about a land ownership in other states than Wisconsin, which I've lived in Wisconsin my whole life. There's a very different perspective by some landowners in other states, some that I found that I agreed with and others not. So in being exposed to these different ideals, I can see even more how Van Tatenhove fell into a job with the Oath Keepers. Also, Rhodes and some of the other leaders are going to be very charismatic. Leaders need to be charismatic to get others to follow them. You can learn to be more charismatic and strong as a leader, but for some people, it just comes naturally. Van Tatenhove talks a lot about how Rhodes got people to follow him, but shared a view behind the scenes that is not uncommon. He claims Rhodes was unstable and opportunist and seemed to appear both drugs and alcohol. And this is a common claim with cult leaders, too. For example, Jim Jones was thought to hide his dilated pupils behind those infamous sunglasses. Van Tatenhove talks of Rhodes being barely able to hold things together at times. Though I feel a little called out on that one myself and think that might be an unfair assessment since there are times where most of us are barely holding things together. In fact, that's why Tatenhove explains how he got more involved with the Oath Keepers. The opportunist in Rhodes saw what Van Tatenhove could offer to help them promote the Oath Keepers. Van Tatenhove personally was going through a tough time and needed the stability and income of the job of National Media Director for the Oath Keepers and what that job had to offer him and his family. At the time, he saw Rhodes as intelligent and the Oath Keepers as a community of people who had similar values as himself. Van Tatenhove, a father and husband who needed to support his family, felt like it was an opportunity that he couldn't pass up. As a member and employee of the group in 2014, things hadn't gone as far off the rails yet either. The Oath Keepers were relatively unknown, and the extremism hadn't been as revealed yet as it would later on. From the description, it wasn't a group that I would personally have gotten involved with, but these aren't my views either, even in the less extreme days. Van Tatenhove confesses as a part of the queer community, he was told to bury that down deep and never speak of it, though he claims Rhodes knew and was fine with it. That's a red flag if I ever heard one, but also as someone who's been known to blatantly ignore the reddest of red flags, it's hard to fault a fellow flawed human being. Some well-known names surrounding some various controversies are brought up, like Kim Davis, who was county clerk in Kentucky who refused to issue marriage licenses for same-sex couples, and Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot three men in Wisconsin during the riots and was acquitted. 
Van Tatenhove says these militia groups, like Rittenhouse, offered protection to businesses, homes, and families in various situations. It was normalized in his world, but as he states, we don't live in a militia state. This isn't normal, and it should not be normalized. I think this is one of the big issues that I personally had with the Rittenhouse situation, which obviously happened in Wisconsin, not too terribly far away from where I live. Um, I mean, like a couple towns away, but but still pretty close. And I think that's the thing that bothered me so much is that people were acting like this was a normal thing for for people to just go in with weapons to, quote, protect businesses. And like um, roads, like Van Tatenhove is talking about roads, it's just, it, it's just very, um, like it's taking advantage of the situation. So many of these people turned down the protection of the Oath Keepers, especially in the early days. It was Van Tatenhove's job to pr- try to bring attention to the group as it, they attempted to capitalize on other people's tragedies. And, and that's what I was trying to say is there is uh, people are trying to capitalize on certain situations when the riots were happening here in Wisconsin anyways. He states pretty clearly that we need to start calling January 6th what it was a failed coup attempt. And I feel like this was a pretty strong statement. So I looked up the definition of a coup, which by definition is a sudden, violent, and unlawful seizure of power. And this was what was attempted. (laughs) There are numerous articles to support this assertion. And while I think it was a dangerous event, the book also, I hate to say, kind of eased some of my fears and some of my concerns. While there are many militia groups in the United States, and it's something I believe we need to be concerned about, monitor, pay attention to, do something about, they're led by very unstable, power-hungry people who I feel like are unlikely to come together to agree on anything. The January 10th rally did really have a significant number of people there, though I highly doubt all of those people were there for the same reason. It's unlikely that any one group would be substantial enough to overthrow our governments. And while I don't want to see an unlawful overthrow of the government, I am in strong belief that we need an overhaul of the government. These grassroots organizations are on to some things as far as the government being too heavy-handed and no longer, quote, for the people. So for me, the message from the author is more about how easily people can become indoctrinated into a culture rather than the dangers of social media or of militia groups. Although I was going to say social media, (laughs) there are dangers of social media too, which that part wasn't new, but I did find the book incredibly interesting and I learned a lot. I didn't know that Van Tatenhove made the case for the concerns over the future civil war. I think the factions are too small and again, the leaders too power hungry to combine. It's a book I would definitely recommend simply to expand someone's general knowledge of life. It's not a book I'm going around shouting from the rooftops about, but it was incredibly fascinating. And honestly, once I started listening to it, I couldn't wait to get back to it. I give it a a 3.5 out of 5. Goodreads gives it a 3.72. There was only one review, and I didn't find a lot of people online who had read it. It's definitely a more obscure book than ones that I have reviewed in the past, but I still found it had a lot of value. And again, it's something that I recommend um, reading because I enjoyed it and I, I wouldn't share it on the pa- podcast if I didn't think it was worthwhile. Media recommendations this week, Elemental on Disney+. Plus. 
This was a cute little movie about just because we have differences doesn't mean we can't live in harmony together, which I think is appropriate for this week. It's about how a girl of fire and a boy of water fall in love and try to make it work. I really enjoyed it and cried at the happy ending. So the boy made me watch this one too, and I'm glad he makes me watch some things that I wouldn't normally be interested in. He helps expand my world, and I hope I help expand his. Also, the other black girl on Hulu. I was so excited for this to come out because this was one of the first books I reviewed for my podcast. I was interested to see how they would bring it to screen. The story was good and I enjoyed it, but they changed some things up that I found weren't weren't necessary and I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the book. While some of the message was still the same, I felt that there was a lot of nuance lost in translation. Definitely still worth watching and I highly recommend, but I'd say pick up the book before watching the show. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at don'treaddrunk, email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com, website is don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. You can uh, support this podcast. It's a hobby podcast. I've told you how busy I am. So any support definitely helps. You can do a one-time donation on PayPal, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. The link is also in my show notes. Thank you to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, Karen Rothley Fine Arts. You can find Karen on Etsy and Facebook. Next episode, The Push by Ashley Audrain. Bye, and talk to you soon. 